Don't stand up, it's all right. Thou art the everlasting word. Remember this chorus? The Father's only Son, God manifestly seen and heard, and heaven's beloved one. Worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou, that every knee to thee should bow, that every knee to thee should bow. Do you remember that? It's a lovely chorus. Today we're going to have a little bit of theology a bit of Bible exposition, and a quiz. Thank you. I want to talk about the Word. You know, the Word, this gets confusing, the word, Word, in Greek, has two main derivations, two main bases. And knowing the difference between the two makes a big difference. The understanding unlocks a door of understanding. Now, the two words are words that you might be familiar with. One is called the logos, and the other is called the rhema. Now, I have to say that they overlap a little bit, uh, and it's not always easy to be precise about these things, but there is a difference that makes a difference to us, and it should affect our lives. So we're going to look at the difference between the Logos and the Rima. And we're going to start with the, the Logos. Now, it's hard to define some of these things, but um, how can we say it? It's the expression of thought. It's what lies behind something. It's what I've called the great revelation. So when we talk about the Logos, we're talking about the great revelation of God, something that's enormous, something that's wonderful. Um, if I make a statement about something, then there should be something backing my statement. You may not, you don't think like this when you're talking to people, but if I say make a statement about something, there should be some basis of that statement behind me, some understanding. So one of the things about the Logos is it's a concept or an idea, a saying or statement that God has made or Jesus Christ has made, for everyone. Now, for instance, the Ten Commandments are a statement of God's will and intention. You agree? Okay? All right. The Beatitudes are an expression of God's heart. No one can doubt God's intention when he says these things. When you read the Ten Commandments, by the way, it's not like a, a quiz where attempt any seven or 86, all right? It's Ten Commandments there. But everyone can see clearly what God is getting at, shall we put it like that? No one can doubt his intentions. So that's one definition of this word logos. The second is that it's a title, and it's a title that's given to the Son of God. Jesus is the total expression of God. Sometimes... You know, we're so wrapped up with what we're doing that we miss, or, yeah, we miss just how wonderful Jesus is, how glorious, and how big he is. That's the thing, how large he is compared to us. 
Anyone listen to the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Anyone know that? There was one man called Zaphod Beebleblocks who had two heads. And uh, he was hip. He, he had a little phrase that I love, I'm so hip I can't see over my trouser belt. But he, there was a, a, a form of torture where they used to put people into something called the total perspective vortex. When you looked at it, you saw how small you were in compared with the universe, and it blew your mind. But when he put his head in it, it, it all changed. But, you know, we're minute, yet God knows us. He knows all the hairs on your head. He knows all about you. He knew you before you were born. But he's the God of the universe, the God who made everything. That goes, when you think up what's up there, it goes on and on forever. It has to, doesn't it? It can't stop. If there's a brick wall at the end of it, what's the other side of the brick wall? Now we're going into deep thought here, so <laughs> I can see some of you glazing over. But Anyway, the concept and idea, but the title of the Son of God. And I want you to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 1, please. Because I'm going to talk about the first 18 verses there. They'll be up there on the screen. Now, we'll have a bit of theology here. This part is called the prologue. It's 18 verses. A prologue is like an overture. Now, that's explained it clearly, isn't it? Okay, <laughs> now you all understand it. But a prologue is like an overture. If you go to a show, let's see, you go to My Fair Lady, or one of those sort of musicals, what happens is the band plays an overture at the beginning. They play an introduction and they play a, a little bit of all the tunes they're going to be playing during the, the time. So all of those tunes will be included. It, in symphonies and such things, an overture is when they play just a little bit of the themes that you're going to hear. And this is what John is doing. He's given us a little bit of what he's going to expound on throughout the rest of the, the gospel in longer pieces. So I'm going to read it through. Then we're going to look at it. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For all of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realised through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. It could take an age to unpack all that, which we're not going to do, but let's just have a little bit. In the beginning, it says. Do you remember where it said in the beginning once before? In Genesis. So what John is doing is taking us back to pre-creation, before the creation of the universe, and he shows two things. One, that the Logos had pre-existence. He was there right before everything else was created and that the word was with the father all along but not distinguishable they were one they were so tightly one that you couldn't distinguish between the God the father and the son and the Holy Spirit which makes the cry of Jesus on the cross even more poignant when he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me he had to go through that for you and me he wasn't complaining, he was just saying that's the state, that he was separated from the Father. This God who made us separated himself. The second thing, it says that he was God. And John uses the word theos, which means God. And interestingly, he, end, he starts and ends his gospel on the same note. He starts with the fact that Jesus was God, and ends with Thomas saying to Jesus, my Lord and my God. That's in chapter 20 of John's Gospel. There is a chapter 21 that was written later by John to sort out the situation with Peter. Verse 14, nip down to that. We drop it down. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word has changed from being the Logos to being a name that we are familiar with, Jesus. So if you, be, if you read this in the game, in, again, in the beginning was Jesus, and the word Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That's what it says. And all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into him. Everything happened around Jesus. Everything. You can't speak too highly of him. Someone once said to me, I worry that people pray to Jesus too much and leave the Father out, as if God the Father is saying, missed it again. Look at that, he's getting all the glory. What's the matter? But Jesus himself is glorious. It's, it, we use this term glory. I'm afraid I can't describe glory to you. I know when I feel it. I know when I've seen it. But I can't describe it to you. There's something about it. Here, John seems to want to say, look, it's, it's grace and it's mercy and it's truth. All of those things are manifested. He became flesh and we know him as the son. Now, the rest of this passage, which we won't go through, but just to say this, 
He's the author of life. Have you ever wondered, scientists are always saying, where does life come from? What is life? Where is it? What's consciousness? All these sort of things. I'm too little brain to understand those sort of things. But he's the author of life. You want to know where life came from? It came from Jesus Christ. He's the author of life. And light. The light that, that illuminates us. That opens our minds to things. That comes through Jesus Christ. Everything came into being because and through him. That's amazing. John the Baptist came. Uh, he came to announce him to the Jews, but they ignored him. You can imagine him coming out of the wilderness because it says in, in Isaiah that uh, he would come before the Messiah would come and make straight the paths so it was easy. You know, you can imagine him wandering out the, the wilderness, uh, wasp's legs sticking out of his mouth <laughs> and his beard and his robe. He came to announce Jesus. And they rejected it. Mostly they rejected it. But some rejected, didn't reject it. And those that didn't reject it, Jesus gives the right to become the children of God. That's amazing. He has the right to do these things. Another thing it says in this passage that we just read is that the new birth is not natural but supernatural. And that's very important. Um, in John 3, a man comes to, to Jesus and says, I'm, I'm a leader in, of religious things. I know all about these things. Um, I've heard Ken Swan, so I've got all my theology right. Um, and Jesus said to him, you must be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That's why we stress it here. You must be born again. It's not natural, it's supernatural. It's no good saying I was born in this country and it's a Christian country. If I was born in a garage, it wouldn't make me a car. These things don't work like that. God's got to touch our hearts and let that light and life of Jesus into us. And that's what makes us born again. It says here that he had the right to pass on to us the preaching of the message which would lead many into their own sonship with God. We're ambassadors for Christ, you know. That's our purpose. People say, oh, what am I here for? You're here to do the will of Jesus Christ and to make him known, however you do it. That's your purpose. It says that Jesus radiated glory in grace and truth. That's the way it came. When the temple was built, Solomon built the temple, they dedicated it, and the glory of God came, and so all the priests who were there doing all the necessary things all fell down on their faces. They were knocked flat by the glory of God. You know, sometimes I'm knocked flat by the, the fact that this glory has come because it's full of grace and truth. That's God's glory manifested to us. Full of grace and truth. You receive grace, you re receive truth, it's because God has opened your eyes and allowed you to receive these things. And that's his glory. That's what he's doing. He does it so that his son Jesus will be lifted up in the eyes of men. M the majority won't do that. But we have the pri privilege of doing that. When the power came down into the temple, they were knocked flat. It's not like the Mosaic law 
which had the potential of condemning us. But this glory, Jesus set aside when he came. A bit more theology, we're talking about the kenosis. That's found in Philippians when it says he laid aside. And we argue, what did he leave behind in heaven? And what did he bring when he came? Amazing. He set it aside for you and me. This Jesus who created everything became a man and humbled himself. That's an amazing truth. You know what he does? He comes to show us the Father. He doesn't show, he shows himself, but he shows the totality of God in a way. When he laid aside his glory, he did it for a set time. In John 17, there's the prayer of, John, of uh, Jesus, we, we call the high priestly prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. If you don't know it, you should read it. But in it, he prays, let me have you, the glory that, was once, that I once had with you, Father, just that they should see it a little bit, that they should taste of it a little bit. Because he'd nearly fulfilled his mission. He's praying, let them... You see, if the full glory of God comes, we'd all be dead. When Moses said, let me see your glory, when Elijah said, let me see your glory, God said, I can't show you. I can't possibly show you. If I did, you'd be dead. But Jesus contained, contained all that and held it in himself. Verse 18 makes it clear that Jesus and Jesus alone shows us what God is like. You want to know what Jesus, what God is like? Look at Jesus. Someone said to you, I don't know what God's like. Say, look at Jesus. He came to declare him. Amazing piece of scripture opens our eyes to the wonder of Jesus, known as the Logos. So the Logos relates to this great revelation. All right? So when you see the word, word, it might well be that. The other word is the word Rima. And it's that which is spoken or written. So the Logos is the concept, but the action comes by the Rima. You'll see what I mean. It's when God speaks personally to you that I live. When I, I hear God speak to me, it might be through the Bible, it might be through anything, but when God speaks to me, I live, I come alive. Don't you find that? Yeah. That life, is anyone out there? Yeah. Thank you. Just, all right. But don't you come alive when Jesus speaks to you. You're reading the scripture. You've been praying, Lord, I need help in this situation. You turn to it and a verse jumps out at you and gives you the answer. That's God speaking. And that's the rema. That's the word that he's come to bring. Now, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was in the temptations. The devil was trying everything on him. Have this, have that, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Just bow down. That's all you have to do is bow down once and you can have the lot. I mean, Jesus could have laughed in his face really and said, <laughs> I made it all. I created it all. What do you mean I can have the lot? He said, man shall not live by bread alone when he's offering him bread but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Often that word comes in difficult situations. But it's the rima. In other words, it's the personal word to you. The personal word to you. You're in a difficulty now? You need the word of God. Well, I've got the Bible. Yes, you've got the Bible, but you need God to speak to you. And you need that rima word. I would have thought that it would have been the Logos, actually, when Jesus said every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I, I, I thought, well, that would be the great revelation of all who God is and what he's done. But it's not. It's the personal word. It's that personal word that God speaks to us. If you'd like to turn to John chapter, uh, sorry, uh, Romans chapter 10 for a minute. Romans 10 says something interesting. In verses 7 and 8, Paul's talking about how we can become Christians. But in 7 and 8, he, I'm butting in right in the middle of it. It says, Don't accept, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that's to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that's to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That's a very strange word, but it comes, that comes from Deuteronomy 30. God has challenged Israel, and he said to them, okay, all right, lads, you're going to go into the promised land. But remember my commandments that I've given to you. Remember the things that I've said, and I want you to choose life and prosperity, not death and adversity. Choose it. I've given you the word, the Logos. I've given you the principles. I've given you what my heart is. It's all there. Now you choose. And that word is the Rima. It's the Rima. And here he says, Paul's writing, he says, look, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth. It's there. It's going to be confessed <coughs> by you. That's the word of faith which we're preaching. That's the word. And I become a Christian when I follow what he says here. That's the word of faith which we're preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you ever worry, am I saved, Lord? Am I really saved? The devil will come and tell you this all the time. He'll try and remind you of his past, of your past. So just remind him of his future when that happens. But have you done this? Have you confessed with your mouth, I believe you, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I believe that everything you've done is sufficient for me to stand before the Father without sin. Have you done that? What does it say? It says you will be saved. And God doesn't lie, you know. He doesn't need to. You'll be saved. But it's that same situation. You have to choose. God laid out his conditions. It's up to us to accept them. By, and he comes and he says, will you do it? And that's his word to you. So in a meeting like this, we can say, is God speaking to you? If he is, say yes. Say yes. People get mixed up with a scripture while we're in Romans 10. <clears throat> that verse 17. 
uh, is it verse 18 now, where are we? 17. 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Now some people think, well, I'll put Bible verses all around, perhaps if I need healing, I'll put Bible verses all around, and that my faith will increase. Well, that's true, there will come blessing from that. But here, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, it's the rema. It's not the great revelation. So it's, do those things. Put scriptures up if you like. Read the scriptures. Get to know it. God can't remind you of a verse, you know, if you don't know it. So read it. But the word that comes, that will give you faith. And that, that's where it rises up in you. So you're looking to the Lord for something and God speaks to you. That's where your faith comes up. So faith comes from these things. You know, it's a bit like computers. There's a huge computer in front of you and it's not working properly. So what do you do? You get the manual out. There is a vast thing telling you how all these things work and everything that's there before you. You do all that and you say, well, that's... I've got to start, start a page one and sort these out. Then along comes someone who says, I have a little experience in this. This mighty computer that's there that controls half of the traffic in London or whatever, have you tried turning it off and turning it on? <laughs> and lo and behold, it works. It works. That's like God. You've, it's the missing part to the puzzle. You've got this great machine. You could go through all the technicalities. That's a bit like the Logos. But the Rema is when God says, turn it off and on. And that's what happens. One of my favourite examples of this, that I make no apologies to come back to because I'm a card-carrying Gentile. You should know that. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has come. And there's a lot of things happening in that chapter. But basically... There's a soldier who's got together this group of people who are all believers in the God of Israel, support the Jews in the synagogue and various things, but they don't know Christ. And they don't understand what's going on. They don't know how they can be included. And Peter comes, he's a bit rude actually when he first comes, and says, I shouldn't be amongst you lot, you're unclean as far as we're concerned. Not very welcoming, but he did have a habit of putting his foot in things, didn't he? And he preaches to them in Acts chapter 10. It says, uh, verse 42, and he ordered us, he's butting in to tell us about Jesus, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who's been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Okay? So this is the climax of his message. And it says, while Peter was still speaking, these words, Rima, these personal words, while Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the rest that were there were, were amazed. The Holy Spirit brought the Rima word. It was the key that they'd been looking for. They'd got all, they knew about the law, they knew about giving, they knew about various things. I mean, Cornelius is quite a character. He prays, he fasts, 
He talks with angels, he has visions, he gives money. You'd make him the church leader. But he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't saved. But the, the key was that his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. The, the Holy Spirit applied that to their hearts and they believed and the Spirit came. That's what has to happen. I'll give you a couple of other verses. John 6 verse 6 says, you have the words of eternal life. You remember Jesus said to Peter, where, where are you going to go? He said, where can I go? You've got the words of eternal life. That word is the rhema. That's the individual word, God's spoken words of eternal life. In John 15, abide in me and my words will abide in you. That's the rhema. You think it's going to be the Logos, the great revelation, but it's the rhema. In John 17, 8, in that wonderful prayer, Jesus said, I've given them the words. What words? The words that you gave me, Father, to give them. That's the rhema. So when God speaks to us, we have to respond. That's very important. It's very important that we respond to what he said. Now, it's quiz time. Are you ready? Okay, you win points, and points mean? <laughs> right, and it's very simple. What we're going to do, I'm going to give you a verse. The first one who can tell me if it's the Logos or the Rima. All right. These fabulous prizes shall be yours. All right, Matthew 13. Are you ready? Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. <coughs> Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. What is that? Is it the Rima or the Logos? The Logos. And that applies to everyone, all right? So, Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read these out to you. After all, you're getting a chocolate, you can bear with me a bit longer, can't you? <laughs> Acts 2. <coughs> Peter preaches a sermon, a long, nice long one. They're not, not worth anything if they're, unless they're long, you know. You know that. Verse 40 and 41. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So those who received his word were baptised. Now what is it? The Logos? You got one already. Pardon? <laughs> it's the Logos. Did you say the Logos? Who said the logos? Have one of those, right? Just to keep you going. Oh. There we go. Just. Okay. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. An angel comes and says to Mary, this is what's going to happen. 138. Be unto me, Lord, according to your word. What word is it? 
over there. It's a, it's a rima. It's a revelation, isn't it? Okay. Now we're going to confuse you. 1 Peter, chapter 1. I don't know. 1, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 25, says this. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Now what is that one? Remos? What's Remos? Uh, that's clever. The, the Remos? You can't have the Remos, come on. The word of the Lord endures forever. What is it? It's, it's the Remos. It was the Rima. That's right. Just one verse before it. Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. What is it? You're all right. So what do we do there? Let's go back up there. Yeah, over there. Okay, now this, this one, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. This is the last one, so your last chance to shine. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Somebody put their hand up and tell me what you think. Rima? Anyone else? We haven't got a lot of choices, have we? Only good too. It's the Logos. Now that's very interesting because you think that revelation would come by the Rima. But in fact, it's the Logos in this case. And I think, I thought about this. The wisdom and knowledge that God gives to us is an application of eternal truth. So when we have words of knowledge and words of wisdom, they must agree with the revealed word of God. So if someone comes to you and says, uh, the Lord says to me, you're to divorce your wife, then you've got to say, just a minute, there's something wrong. That's not according to the revealed will of God, is it? So we're safe on those things. Now, it might be that the revealed will of God in these things, or the revelation, the Spirit will apply it to your heart. And it almost becomes the Rima. But it is actually the Logos. I thought that was quite interesting, because I thought being on Revelation, it, it would be Rima. So, anyone get that right? Have you had one already? No. Did you not? There you go. All right. That'll do it for the moment. You know, Jesus is the mighty expression of all God's truth and his actions and his attitudes and his power and the future. He is the Logos. He's the great revelation of God. And we mustn't minimise him. 
we so easily forget about who Jesus is because we're caught up with other things. He's the Lord of the universe. The Lord of the universe. He came and he created you and me and he created everything and everything was done for him and through him and by him. You know, that's why Paul sometimes, he just eulogises about Jesus. He just starts and he says, blessed be his name, and then eulogises about him. Wonderful things. Some of his doxologies, are just trying to think of one, should be the good one. But some of his doxologies, the things at the end of the chapters are just fantastic. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages. That mystery is that Jesus is the Lord of everything. But now manifested by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. We need to put Jesus back right into the middle of our lives. I'm just going to read you that chorus again. We could sing it, actually. Do you remember the song? Thou art the everlasting word, the Father's only Son, God manifestly seen and heard. And heaven's beloved one. You see the truth in that. That's, that's really such a good chorus. And it goes, Worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou, that every knee to thee should bow, that every knee to thee should bow. Let's pray. Father, we want to come and bow the knee to you for being such a glorious God who loved us and sent his Son for us. Father, we want to honour Jesus in every way in our lives. And we do love you, Lord, for speaking to us directly, as well as giving us all that glorious revelation. You speak to us. You know us. So, Father, we're asking that you'll speak to us now, whilst we're here. You know there are needs here in the meeting. There are people that are struggling with difficulties. Whatever they are, Father, we want to ask that you'll come and you'll bring your word to bear on their situation this morning and deliver them in Jesus name Lord deliver them set them free from oppression from lies set them free from everything glorify your name Lord and we honor the name of Jesus thank you Lord we honor the name of Jesus Jesus praise your name thank you Lord Jesus you are the Lord of everything we give you the glory hallelujah Praise your name. Let your heart go and praise Jesus. He deserves it. Lord, you've done everything. Hallelujah. Bless your name, Lord. Come by your spirit this morning and touch our lives. Lord, you know the things that perhaps are not worthy of Jesus in our lives or the things that we have left aside or maybe there are issues that we're facing we don't know how the answer Jesus is the answer come Lord minister to us hallelujah if you want prayer this morning for anything 
there's always folk here to pray with you. You can come up the front and we'll pray with you. But let's carry on worshipping Jesus. The angels are worshipping him. All creation worships him. Why shouldn't we? Thank you, Lord.